This is the In the Field Podcast, brought to you by Pheasant Bonanza. Alright, welcome to In the Field. I'm Jay Sorensen. I'm Cash Parish. We got him back on. We're going to talk some cranes and some geese with him. To start off, uh, what's your most memorable hunting experience? Guiding or just hunting on your own? Either one. Um, probably when we figured out how to shoot the cranes. That was like a monumental task. <laughs> That's a perfect segue to get started. <laughs> so um, you you say you don't hunt cranes like you hunt geese. Mm. So what what's the difference? Without giving away all your secrets. Well, you just you kind of got to go back and do a little history. Uh, back in the 90s, uh, early 2000s, there wasn't any decoys that they actually would come and decoy into that you could buy, you know, readily. They were uh, running stuffers, weren't they? Yeah, I mean, me... And one other guy were the only ones that, you know, you even heard about. Uh, where I live in Texas, they're the different cranes and out in the panhandle. Uh, those are the lesser cranes. Where we hunt, we get the, the graders that migrate. They come down through there with their population is quite a bit smaller, uh, act different, a lot like, you know, lesser and Canada geese and greater geese, you know, they just act different. Uh, so we hunted them for a long time with the stuffers uh, and then kind of started venturing out, shooting the geese out or the cranes in the panhandle. Uh, but there, there was no decoy that just anybody could go out and buy that they would decoy into where you could have you know, everyday success. Uh, there was cello socks, uh, had a crane decoy and, uh, uh, outlaw had a crane silhouette and Carrie light had a full body crane, but it looked like a heron. And so nobody had any equipment to hunt them. Uh, so I did bird taxidermy, so mounted up a whole bunch of them, and we used them for decoys, and uh, I'll never forget it. It just was like a bird that you never could ever get within range of without pass shooting them or something, and uh, we had a sock spread and some silhouettes, and... I think we killed like 36 that year, which was like amazing. You know, we never shot that many before. And I mounted the, I had 18 stuffers that I mounted. And I mean, they looked good. I mean, all had eye and just like a mount you put in your house. And we shot 350. Oh. So a little bit. A little, little bit, bit of a jump there. Yeah. <laughs> so, and I mean, we've shot piles of them since and then we started the decoy business with the deception decoys and made the first and you uh, designed that correct i was you know part of helping 
uh, Grant was the one that did all the carving with that stuff, and he carved the first ones off of some of the stuffers I had to get the dy dynamics right and the size right and everything. Uh, so until that, that was the first decoy that they actually worked. Uh, so pretty cool. So um, going back, how many decoys are you running in a crane spread? It depends. Uh, probably average of five dozen to ten dozen at the max. Uh, problem is you, you run out of room to put them. Uh, and that goes on to figuring out how many people you're hunting. And if you're hunting a bigger group of people where your blind's bigger, you've got more room to put out more decoys. Uh, but, you know, less is more, really. They're a social, real social bird. I mean, they, they just like to go hang out with other cranes. So, I mean, they're flying by, see a handful of cranes sitting in a field or something. You know, they're going to come over and, you know, hang out a lot of times. So, so when you're scouting... What are you looking for in a crane spot? Are you like finding an X like you would be on geese? It's that's kind of one of those deals too, where you gotta figure out what the birds are doing because a lot of times they'll get off the roost and they'll all go to like a Milo field and they'll all pile in that thing and be all together for a while and then they start jumping from that field to another field to another field. And they just, they continuously do that all day long. If it's, you know, not real hot. Uh, if it gets pretty warm during the day, they will go back to, uh, the roost or they'll find a midday, uh, loaf in between. Cause I mean, they, they get ahead of themselves and they may end up, five ten miles from their roost uh and a lot of times i don't i think they realize that's not the best water in the world because a lot of times there's geese and ducks and the water's not that great you know so they'll find a midday loafing spot that's got better water so you know in between where they don't have to fly all the way back to the roost you know to get some water uh so, um, if you're, you're looking for a field, what's your grain of choice or is it just on what the bird's feeding on that week? Where predominantly Milo, uh, and wheat seed, they'll be in these green wheat fields and people think they're eating the green, you know, just eating the wheat. They're scratching the seed up that hasn't sprouted yet. Because whether it's a lesser or a greater crane, their necks are average of about 14 inches long. So uh, you got to figure if you were trying to swallow something and have to swallow it 14 inches, pack it down in there, a bunch of blades of grass isn't going to be what you're going to try to eat. I mean, because they're not built for that. Uh 
they don't have the mouth like a goose does. A goose can take a piece of wheat and fold it like an origami and pack it in there. But the cranes, I mean, they're sole grain eaters. Uh, now, they will eat the wheat seed just right as it sprouts where they have the uh, uh, enough of the seed itself to help push it down. Uh, and they'll mix a little bit of green in there just to help them, you know, it helps them swallow it. But, uh, that's what makes them so good to eat is it's just basically like a, you know, feed, a grain fed steer the whole, its whole life. I mean, all they eat is the good stuff. So, so you're saying you're, you're these Milo fields, do they have much trash in them? I yeah. can't. I can't imagine this wheat. These wheat fields you're talking about, they have no, nothing in them. Yeah, correct? wheat wheat field, and you know, there's some no-till wheat down there, uh, but most of it's all still plowed up, disc. You know, just brown, shines like a diamond when it's planted, and it's got all the rows in it. You know, and you know, a lot of people don't realize, but the crane is uh one of the only birds that has the eyesight that the raptors have that's not in that division so you're dealing with something that's got they don't have the monocular vision like a goose does i mean it's way better they can they can see a whole shape but they can't see the whole 180 like a like a cow does like a horse can't see depth perception yeah but it can see all the way around its body yeah, and I mean, they, they can fly over a field and know that's a wheat field or think it's a wheat field. And, you know, they go in there and, and there won't be a green patch in it. I mean, sometimes a farmer may just pick the drill up out of it and left, but they know that's where food is and they get in there and scratch it up and they love uh, that wheat seed. And it's, you know super high in protein for them, puts fat on them. I mean, you know, it's good good stuff for them to eat. So that's probably why your height has to be spectacular on those. Yeah, and a lot of times it makes a lot of places where you can't hunt them. I mean, because if you got a 400, you know, where we're at, there might be a 2,000-acre wheat field. Well, if it's just a square 2,000-acre wheat field... You're not going to do much with that. Uh, so it makes it really hard to hunt when they're in those great big fields like that. But that's where when they start jumping and start hopping around, you can, you know, take advantage of that. Leave them alone when they all go together and start picking them off. You know, it makes may make a little longer hunt, but you've got a lot more enjoyable hunt because they're smaller bunches coming at you instead of madness you're there here they're all coming now you got to shoot them get them picked up you know uh if you've got a dead crane out there in the decoys or somewhere around the, the blind they will not come in That's... i mean they will flare like you're standing out there in a pink suit so Trent was telling me a story when he was down hunting with you. You guys had a sailor on you. Yeah. And 
um, you had to walk like a half mile to find this crane because the next few groups just were not coming in. Yeah, I mean, if they have to fly over that dead crane, they ain't doing it. I mean, they will flare. I mean, it, especially if they're coming in and the hunt's going great, and then all of a sudden they quit coming in, something wrong. And whether there's 10 bunches on the way, if you don't fix it, you're not going to kill another crane. I mean, because it's just amazing how they can see that's not right, you know? So, um, you, uh, what are we running for blinds? Are you running laydowns, A frames? Uh, we, we run, uh, I've got some A frame blinds that we built back in the day before you even heard about an A frame blind. Uh, and then we run, uh, the Avian X blinds, uh, just cause they're a little bit smaller profile and can, you can hide them more in the obvious, uh, granted where we're uh, everywhere we hunt down there, there's plenty of tumbleweeds. So tumbleweeds, you can pile a bunch of tumbleweeds up about anywhere and it kind of looks, you know, that, and that's what gets the cranes in trouble is their eyesight is so good, they can tell that there's no danger as they're coming in. So they get relaxed, you know, and, and they know there's nothing out there that's going to get them, and they'll land by something crazy, like a wellhead, or, I mean, they'll walk in between the barbed wire fences, you know, and just land out in the middle by something crazy that a goose probably would never ever land by just because they're so cautious about anything sticking up but they'll just glide right in there and land by it because it because they can see so much better than everything else so so is that what you're trying to hunt by uh edge edge hides and then wellheads and uh yeah yeah and it depends pivot irrigation yeah it depends on where you're at i mean some of the areas don't have any pivot irrigations but you know, there might be a pile of weeds or an implement or something out there, and you don't take much. I mean, just something to set the blind by to kind of blend it in, you know, and and you can set them right out in the middle, too. I mean... You do that with cranes? Sometimes. Sometimes. If absolutely have to. That's one of my favorite little things on the geese up here is I just cut a whole bunch of corn early, and it just you look like a patch that didn't oh, get yeah. harvested. Oh, yeah. So uh, if you can hunt and, you know, you're hunting in corn or or milo stubble, you you got a lot more availability to camel a blind, you know. Uh, but mo- most of the time, probably tumbleweeds is the number one uh, thing everybody uses. What are you looking for in weather? I know, like up here, I'm looking for on geese some really shitty days when i'm hunting close to the river and then other eyes i'm looking for some cold but uh some uh blue sky days with like you said 10 mile per hour wind is the kind of the same thing with cranes you want a wind with the cranes uh if you don't have a wind they work terrible i mean they'll skirt the edge they'll fly behind you wind gives everything a direction so if you have to set up with no wind for anything, or if the wind's going to be out of six different directions, 
it's so hard because you you don't ever have them coming straight at you because you you know something else we kind of learn on the cranes a lot of people i see will will just stick their decoys out facing all different directions even if you have a good wind and you're not going to shoot them with their feet down in there with decoys facing all over the ground. You, you know, you will the beginning of the season maybe, but birds do not like to come in and land with other birds looking at them. I mean, I think they think that's totally wrong uh, because why would they be looking at them because they're coming into their back with, you know, they feed into the wind. So and if you have much wind at all, you got to remember them cranes' wing feathers and stuff are so much longer. So there's, you know, the wind blows them. So they're going to be in the wind as much as possible to keep the wind from, you know, blowing up in their feathers. So Now, is that true with geese at all also? Will you I, face your decoys into the wind? If If the wind gets up, I'd say over 10 miles an hour is very important to, uh, just because you wouldn't ever see them in real life doing that. I mean, you know, why, why would they be, and that wind blows up into their feathers and makes them colder, uh, you know, so I've, that's always been a stickler to me, you know, keep your stuff decoys facing into the wind. I didn't know that. I'm learning to, stuff today. To give them... Because the more you stick them looking at them, that gives them more profile of the decoy to be able to look at. You know, if you're just like you, if you're walking in, you know, to McDonald's, everybody's standing in a line to go eat in a line. Not too many people Turn around are and turning look around, it. looking around, or, you know, everybody's looking at the menu or whatever. So if not, Everybody be kind of nervous, you know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> so or or the line never would ever get down, you know. So uh, that's just one stuff I think about. I mean, all right. So your typical crane hunt, you setting up in the dark. Oh yeah, yeah. And then are they coming in at daylight? Usually, right at. Right after shooting time, you know, right when the sun comes up, uh, depends on how far they're coming too. Uh, I mean, you might hunt five, ten. Well, you know, they might come five, ten miles from you, you know, to come to where you're at. So, uh, a lot of that depends on how soon they get to you. But yeah, they're pretty active right at, uh, uh, you know, sunrise. And then, how long are you generally hunting them for? You got a shut-off time where you're like, it's not going to be good past this. And that's something about them. They'll fly all day, you know, they'll just hopscotch all day long. So mm. if you're around a big, big concentration of them, you know, they may come past you till noon. I mean, so that gives you a big window to work on versus you setting up for geese. You know, they may all be in your, you know, flown by you by nine or eight depends on how many of them they are you know uh so you got a longer window and the bunches seem to get smaller you end up with more you know five to ten group pairs singles 
stuff like that. So, uh, your your typical are you flagging at cranes like you do geese? No comment. No comment. All right, that's a secret. Apparently, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, on to the next uh, question. <laughs> We don't call at them either. You don't ever want to do that. All right, that was going to be my next question. That scares them to death if you call at them. (laughs) Calling and flagging are absolute no-nos. I can't tell if he's being serious, so I can't tell you guys either. Shot. So if someone's doing a guided hunt with you, what are you going to recommend for a shot on shells? So in Texas, you... A crane is it's a not a waterfowl. You can it's, shoot lead. It's a migratory bird, <laughs> so you can shoot lead at them. So, you know, used to be lead was cheaper than steel. Now, damn steel, damn near cheaper than the lead nowadays. But uh, you know, everybody's coming. I, I recommend everybody to shoot the steel, just because everybody's used to duck hunting used to a certain speed all your lead shots are slower you know so and you, I mean, you never know you might get a, a a flock of geese or something to swing by or a little group of ducks or something uh you know last year we had uh a you know group of guys hunting and out in the middle of nowhere had three flocks of snow geese fly right over the blind it could have caught them with a net you know half of the guys had lead so you just gotta sit there and watch them fly by you know i mean if one guy has lead you know you can't shoot at them so that's kind of a bummer i mean you know there's three flocks of adult snow geese that just come out of the abyss you know flew by as they here kill me but you know all we just do is watch them fly by you know so it makes a nice little extra deal in the bag, you know. And it's usually like that snows or specks or something. It's, you know. Uh, a totally different spread Winging form. by, they're, yeah. yeah. They're not scared of that. No. <laughs> you know, they'll fly over the, your, your A-frame line when they never would if you had a goose spread out, <laughs> you know. But So, steel shot, you double B, two shot, what do you? Yeah, twos. Twos. Uh, I mean, most everything's gonna be, uh, you know, twenty to fifteen to twenty yard shots to start on them. You know, so uh, anything you feel comfortable shooting geese with, or ducks, or you know, they're they're all wing and leg and neck. So I mean, they're not, they're they're about like shooting. I tell everybody they're like shooting a flock of hen turkeys. If you can imagine a migrating flock of hen turkeys coming at you, <laughs> twenty of them at a in a line, they ain't that hard to hit. I mean, so you know. when you're when you're shooting at them, are you going for heads or are you going for wings? Yeah, I mean, you, 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 and that's the deal. Their their bodies are so kind of their neck stuck out there, and their wings are there. You hit them in the wing in the neck, you're gonna break wings. You're, I mean, they're not going nowhere. I mean. So, um, what is the limit on geese or on cranes down there? Uh, it's three, three, three. And 
in the area where we're where I live, you can have three, the Panhandle, uh, Lubbock, Amarillo, all that area. You can have three uh, down on the coast, uh, Houston, Katy, Prairie, down off in there. You, it, it goes to two uh, because that's where the the graders that come through my area. That's where they kind of end up over where the whooping cranes are. Uh, so. Uh, our zone opens later too. Uh, you can start shooting them in the panhandle. Uh, usually the last week of October, uh, can't shoot them where I live until, uh, right there around Thanksgiving because we're on the very Western side of the, uh, whooping crane migration. And I've seen way more whooping cranes in the panhandle than I've seen where I live, so <laughs> go figure. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's switch it up. Let's talk geese. So down there, you are hunting mostly lessers, correct? Pretty much, yeah. Uh, a lot of speckle bellies, lots more snow geese than there used to be, uh, which has been a helpful deal because helps you hide in the white suits and the you know uh, snow goose socks, you know, so. So you're doing a, a small goose hunt like you said you are. Are you running A-frames again, or are you getting in the socks with them? You, every, it's just one of them deals if you can. I mean, whatever works the best. I mean, layout blinds in a fence row or A-frames in a fence row, white suits in the middle, just that's it, a daily. What would you prefer if? You had your option to A-frame hunt or to lay in the socks. People, the the best thing about the A-frame hunting is people can shoot so much better, you know, client-wise if they can stand up, you know, because you've, you've usually got a wide scale of ages of a group. So some people love it, setting up and shooting. Some people... Older guys, you know, it takes them a little longer to to get up to shoot. So, anytime you can use the A-frame, you know, it, it's better. But the geese right in your face in them white suits is pretty pretty cool. I mean, that's hard to beat. Yeah, it's when they don't even know you're there. Yeah, you can reach I mean, out and, and grab them. And with these taller socks they got now, I mean, you can. You can get out in there and build a whole spread where you just disappear in it. So, How many socks do you run in a spread? And then do you mix socks and full bodies? I usually hide in the socks and have all the full bodies out in front. Uh, you know, if you're trying to hide people, you know, you need to figure a couple dozen decoys just to hide somebody. So you got ten people. You know, that's you're you're getting a heck of a spread build up just trying to pack around everybody to hide them, and that's not counting, you know, building the rest of it. So, uh, you know, you're looking at a pretty good sized spread to get, you know, hid. So I don't mean to steal all your secrets, but you're throwing out a a big spread. Are you banking on those birds coming to the front of the pack? Like you, like snow geese are, they're greedy. They want to get to the front, or are you just making holes for them to land in, or what's? 
Yeah, I mean, your dark geese will pretty much hit your hole out in front of you. I mean, you don't, they don't seem to want to work because you, you, your, all your snow goose socks and all that are your head of your spread. So you got all your dark geese on the downwind side. They want to pretty much stay with them dark geese. I mean, they, because the, the snow geese are rolling typically so much mm -hmm. that, they're staying ahead of everybody anyway, so they don't really care uh, a Canada or speckled belly. They can just wander around out there and eat and them snow geese. They want to jump ahead and jump ahead and jump ahead, you know, so. So with a speck or say on your U, you're running. I know this isn't what you're probably doing, but say you're your basic U. Are you running your specs and your dark geese together as decoys? Or are you making one end, hey, this is kind of the spec side? Or do you have just a totally game, different game plan? Hey, today we're hunting specs and t today we're hunting dark geese. I mean, I like to put the specs out there where they can see them. Because if you're calling at them, they know what a speckle belly is. And they'll hunt you down. Circle, circle, look. So if you put them out there where they can see them, they'll zero in on them a whole lot better than if you got them all mixed in, you know, and they'll try to, uh, you know. And, you know, I, I've got to try, you know, I usually run about seven to eight dozen fully flocked specs in with the Canada decoys so they stand out, you know, uh, now in the wild, will they mix or do they stay pretty separate? They'll mix, but there usually is a pretty good wad of them. It's always specs, you know. They like they like each other. You, they, and they all get in there together, and it seems like they like to, you know. Eventually, when you look at them, they'll start being little pods of specs, and uh, you know, especially I'd say later in the season, you know, they start kind of getting kicking each other the babies off and pair more kind of staying with their little unit you know so up here i'm mostly hunting hunt graders mm -hmm. uh, and it, to me it's just a totally different kind of hunting um what do you think are the biggest differences in between greater hunting and hunting lessers well i mean this just comes from growing up we didn't have any geese. If you shot a goose, it was a miracle. Uh, fast forward to the 90s, they start turning loose all these big honkers at all these city ponds and everything. All the ponds down the interstates, they stuck a, you know, the sewage lagoons at the truck stops. They threw a pair of geese out. So now everybody's got all these geese to hunt. Nobody knows how to hunt them where we're at so they're all honkers big geese you know 14 15 pounds you know like flying turkeys around and so that's what we've got and every now and then you'll see a, a little flock of lessers or some lessers that be mixed in with them well uh now fast forward with the drought in western kansas you know when the same time texas went through it 
2009 to 2010 and 11, you know, the Cheyenne Bottoms was dry. Quivira was dry. Two major refuges for all those little geese. If you wanted to shoot little geese, that's where you went. Or you went to Oklahoma to the Salt Plains. Back when I was little growing up, that, I mean, you went down there to shoot a goose where I, where I grew up. Uh, all those geese had to go somewhere. There was nowhere for them to go west, nothing out there. So they went east to Wichita. Now you got all these housing communities, sand pits, river, water everywhere. And they just changed their flight. Instead of going straight south anymore, they just take a east and, you know, end up Wichita, Hutchinson, more eastern side of Oklahoma where than they used to be. So now, instead of honkers, now we've got all these little geese. Well, everybody had five to maybe ten dozen decoys. We ain't going to touch that no. with them little geese. I mean, you don't even get any, uh, especially later in mid-season, I mean, you don't even get one of them to look at that. I so, mean, the groups flying are double yeah, or triple yeah, that I mean, already. hundreds, you know, hundreds of geese, thousands at a time. So now nobody knows how to goose hunt again. And you don't ever see a honker because the little geese get up at, like a bunch of ducks, they come out shooting time till nine o'clock and they're done. And you got your limit of those. And now the honkers, you know, they ain't even got up yet. So, uh, it's really changed. It was frustrating for a lot of people because, you know, most people don't have a, a availability to go buy Two or three, four hundred decoys, you know. And you think that's the major difference is the number of decoys you got to run on a. Yeah, I mean, and, and uh, you know, you went from a, a, an old style haronk, you know, I call it a haronk call. You just blew into it, made a really good deep goose call. Pretty much everybody could do it. You know, and that's all you did, you know, as they were coming in, because that's all they do, you know, I'm mowing a little bit. Well, now you got these little geese that sound like a band of Indians coming, <laughs> you know. Uh, people don't know how, you know, they don't know how to do that. Uh, and it's hard, them uh, short read calls are hard to learn how to blow. So I'd say that's what pr probably puzzles most people is well, we used to shoot all these geese so now what do we do well we can't kill any of these things so uh and a lot of times the honkers won't go to where they're at because they don't ever shut up and uh that's a lot of times you won't find the cranes roosting with the geese and uh, i mean it's just my assumption but what I've kind of figured out, they don't like all that noise. I mean, you can have 500 cranes, 500 honkers on a pond, and you might not hear a peep out of none of them. 
they're all just down there swimming around. Every now and then somebody honks a little bit or they all get excited every now and then. But most of the time it's just peach and quiet. You can have 10 lessers out there and it sounds like there's 100 the whole time they're out there. So uh, I think the noise and they're more aggressive. You know, they're running around a lot more. Uh, they just ain't going to deal with that. So, but wherever the honkers go, the little geese go. So the big honkers, they get up and go somewhere else. So, uh, you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. <laughs> you, you, you may get some of them to swing by you and come check it out, but, you know, they don't like to land with them either. I think if you really, if you could talk to them, they'd tell you we don't like them either. So, so like when I'm hunting honkers, um, I'm I'm no expert caller. I'll I'll throw that out there right now. I throw out some clucks, some honks, and then when they're coming at moans, you the from what I've seen, you got to scream at those little geese. Oh, yeah. most of the time it's constant from the time you see them. Because if if you ever let up on them and ever let get them flying, it's hard to get them back. Because because they they're just like. They're about like a workable bunch of snow geese. If snow geese would ever become geese that act <laughs> like geese, uh, that's basically what you're hunting. Ben. And you're uh, lots of times calling at one of them. And if you can keep him on the hook, all you need is one. So that's what you'll just pick out your one. I mean, It doesn't you, even have to be the leader. You're just finding one. Yeah, I mean, if you'll blow a noise at one and just... Doing all that, you know, and, and it may sound like, I, I hear a lot of people say, oh, yeah, that just sounds like noise. Well, if you hear somebody that knows what they're doing on one of them calls, it ain't just a bunch of noise. There's a bunch of noise involved, but you're making some noises just like you would honker calling to try to get somebody's attention, you know. And when you lock on to him, you got to keep all the rest of them in there attention but if you can get him in there a lot of times you know the rest of them will come with you so uh and there's so many more speckle bellies nowadays you'd have never i'd have never dreamed you'd see speckle bellies walking around in a city i mean hanging out on a golf course or a city pond or people jogging and they just you couldn't get nowhere near one of them bastards out in the wood, you know, out in the wild. I've shot one and but, just mind blown that he. Came I mean, in. it just is so amazing how when they get in that city area, they just lose total. Uh, you know, they don't care. They know they're safe. They've never ever been shot at in there, but when they get up from there and head out of there, they become a different cat. I mean. So, and that's getting hard, too, is the specs. I mean, and, and that kind of was this year with the snow geese. So many mixed flocks that, you know, the, the speckled bears are nine times out of ten going to figure something wrong or they're just going to turn and go the other way because they don't want to be there. Not necessarily anything's wrong. They just ain't going down there. So, uh, but... So, motion decoys 
Um, well, we'll start off with this. Lessers, are you, say you're hunting out of an A-frame, are you running a normal flag, or do you got like a magic mic set up to get the motion out away from you? The The clones are probably the best thing that's came out. It's like a robo-duck for geese. You like them? Yeah. You like them. Yeah. I hear back and forth with people. Some people love them, some people hate them. Like the Dakota style, do you something just sitting there flapping or do you want something that's going to retract swings all the way in the 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 clones are uh i mean i've just seen it, them work like magic and then the next day you know they don't i mean it's it's all on a daily deal what kind of bird you're hunting but uh i've seen them kill you snow geese that you wouldn't have got or, or at least got you a shot at them same way with the with the lessers and and everything else. I mean, I haven't really used them honker hunting that much because I mean I don't get to hunt honkers to speak of. Uh, if we do, they're in a it's on a water lake or where I grew up, and trying to run one of them in the water is just it's hard. You know, you got to have a prop to set the battery on, and then how do you hide it? And uh, go into what a clone this clone is because i don't know what you're talking about i mean it's a it's a uh automated goose decoy but it flaps and you can change the speed okay up and down uh it it doesn't do the spinning mm -hmm. the spinning yep. the flashing is what scares the geese i mean you look out there watch a bunch of geese you don't see no flashing i mean uh but you can turn it on and off which is even with the robo ducks anymore, you got to learn when to turn it on, when to turn it off, or when to leave it running all the time. I mean, you got to pay attention to what birds are leading the other birds in and keep them happy, you know. Uh, Be able to read your yeah, bird. Yeah, uh, because, uh, you know, the other deal that has, it, it has a momentary button on it where you can push it, and you can make it flap, and as soon as you let it go, it turns them off. So, and they usually stay in a pretty good uh, configuration when you stop it, that they don't look all out of whack that a goose wouldn't be in that position, you know. So, are you running that, like, in your kill hole, or do you put it off to the side just to pull? I have one... Uh, the Dakota style, and every now and then I run it, but I'm just putting it on like the corner of my spread, just to keep my eyes off my height. Yeah, would... I, if if you know if well, setting up in a uh, a frame, yep, you know, you, you works a lot better if you can side shoot them out of that. So you're gonna have it out, kind of right on the upwind side of your kill hole where you're pulling everything past you. Uh, when we hunt out in the sock spreads, I put them right out in front, right where you want them to be, and, I mean, they will mostly come right to them things. I mean... With an A-frame, do you ever just set up where they're going to finish right in front of the A-frame, or do you always try and cross-shoot them? On a wind. It's all on a wind deal, where you can hide, how you can set it up. Uh, you just got to hide it a lot better. Uh if they're coming right at you because you're calling in there, you're, you're all your mode, you know, everybody's sitting in there, you know, you just gotta, 
be a lot more careful what you're doing. You guys do a lot of field duck hunting down there? If you're going to field duck hunt where I live in Texas, it's going to be mostly widging in with the geese or widging in a wheat field or something. Uh, not a whole lot of, you get a little farther south uh, where a lot, uh, you know, a couple more of the bigger outfitters are. You got more peanuts, so you'll get mallards and pintail widging, you know, out in there with the geese, but if not, you're just going out for widging, it's not worth just throwing out a spread to shoot. Oh, nuts. it is, but I mean that's mainly what you're going to hunt in a field, and a lot of times, you know, you can have a bunch of them in with the geese uh, in the wheat field. A, a widgeon is a lot more of a grazer bird, uh, just like a goose. I mean, he'd a lot rather eat green wheat. Uh, I ain't gonna. They won't turn down Milo or something like that either. But I mean, they're. You might just see two or three thousand of them out in a wheat field by themselves. You know, that's so. by far my favorite duck to hunt. They are so. Oh, yeah. They are so trusting. And they're so the, pretty. I mean, and usually they're. You don't have to worry about them showing up. They're coming. So they they see decoys and they don't think any other thing about it. That's ducks and, out there. That's and decent. they love. I mean, you cannot have a snow goose within a 500-mile radius of you, and they love a snow goose. Really? sock spread. I mean, they don't care. About like a pintail. They they, they won't shy away from a sock spread at all. How many robo-ducks do you run if you're field duck hunting? couple. Just a couple? At the most, yeah. Am I out of line for running six? I mean, if you got... If you got pressure, but if the ducks are coming there, you don't need all that. I mean, uh, but if you got a lot of pressure and a lot of people that are duck hunting around, you know, you may need more. I, I'm trafficking a lot. Yeah. I already know that. Yeah, I mean, yeah. if you're doing that, that helps. Uh, but, you know, even up in Canada, I mean, if we go up there and hunt, I mean, I have threes about the most, uh, you know, I ever use even up there. So, it don't hurt to put them out, though. I mean, so. Switching gears back um, on geese. What are you looking for for shot and geese? What do you suggest to your clients? Same thing, two shot, shooting those lessers? Yeah. Yeah, two shot. Uh, number ones, if it's windy. Uh, and if you're using, a, you know, one of the choke tubes now, they have pattern master or uh the carlson cremator choke tubes them things are great uh, uh you, number threes seem to be you get a few more pellets uh and those chokes they'll allow you to hit the target with a few more extra pellets you know it might only be three or four more pellets but if you get three or four more pellets in their body or three or more pe more pellets in their wings you know, that's a lot more uh, lethal, you know. So number threes are are pretty good now, and they even make them in three and a half now. So You like three and a half? Yeah, just because usually don't get to be the first one to shoot much anymore. Oh, so, so you got you to play mean, cleanup you, you good. You got to hit and trying to shoot the wounded ones or the cripples or – 
you know, you, you, you're usually the one that gets to shoot them way out there. So, uh, and geese, don't let them fool you. Them things are tough. Oh, I mean, yeah. so everybody thinks the three and a half is a way overkill, but, uh, not necessarily. I, I could make a pillow factory with the amount of Oh, yeah. Honkers I've shot in the chest oh, yeah. watch fly off. Especially the honkers. Yeah. I mean, and and them number threes will do some numbers on them when they're in the decoys. Do you I mean, screw around with bismuth at all? I just can't afford it. I mean, shooting much, that many shells a year. As much as we hunt, I mean, you just can't. And I don't know how people afford it to shoot it. So uh, I haven't seen a goose yet that an expert Walmart shell won't kill if you shoot it where you're supposed to i mean so one last thing before we get off of here we're going to talk clients some do's and don'ts <laughs> if you're sitting in the blind with cash what's the biggest thing a client can do just that's going to tick you off stand up and shoot without you telling them to people really do that oh yeah <laughs> that does not go over good how <laughs> many warnings do you give them oh i mean you just usually don't happen very much it you know somebody will make an accident or something you know and but you it's just like snow geese hunting up here you know i'm calling a shot to try to get everybody the best opportunity so if if you're with a group of seven guys or something and they're all your group you got to worry about your other six people that's hunting with you, you know, and I'm trying to get everybody a shot and it don't always work that way. Uh, I've always kind of said that I let more stuff go than most people ever get a chance to shoot at because, you know, if they're not right, we're not going to shoot at them. You know, I feel like you come for quality over quantity uh so we're not gonna sit out there and shoot at stuff that i know if i don't think i can hit it i'm damn sure not gonna tell you to shoot at it just so you can stand up and shoot three shells or ten or wound one that we gotta mess up three bunches of birds trying to pick it up you know uh i would say that'd be the number one ultimate sin do you let guys bring their dogs? Yeah, if, if I mean, if it's a group, you know, one group of guys that's hunting together, and most everybody I know, pretty much, I don't have a whole lot of people I don't hunt with on a yearly basis that come. So, I mean, most like of Like new them customers you're talking about. You got a whole bunch of repeat customers. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and... I pretty much know if they got a dog or if they don't, and most of them don't. Uh, well, I mean, I don't care if they bring a dog. I mean, if they screw, but don't bring your dog and expect me to have waiters on and going to run across the lake with your dog that won't listen to nobody. You're going to bring your dog. You bring your shells to shoot cripples. You bring your waiters. And you go out and work the dog and pick the birds up. I mean, you know, I've I've seen a lot of people bring their dog and they want they don't have waiters. And okay, 
that's fine, but I can't, your dog won't listen to you, let alone listen to me out there, you know? So, uh, that's where I have a problem with people bringing their dog, so. Do you get a lot of people trying to get peeks at cranes or geese coming in that end up, you know, we call it jack lanterning when it just looks like you got jack lanterns across the blind heads we, picking up. When you come crane hunting, I mean, we cover every base. There's no... You're sitting I mean, there staring at the I ground. I mean, them people are camoed beyond belief. I mean, because you have to be. Uh, the the old blinds that we built, uh, they were more of a bo- uh, uh, an A-shaped box uh, and you had uh, the dura cover on the roof, so you're basically sitting in there, and it's dark. You you got a window to look at. Well, with the COVID stuff, you're all clammed up in there. No air, you know, really coming through. No wind, so that kind of got us hunting out of the avian X blinds more, where you, everybody can stand up, get some fresh air. You know, it's it's a lot less, you know, a lot less sealed off, you know. Uh, so, I mean, we just had to camo them better. Uh, there's a grass that grows up at our duck club in Kansas. That's uh, the best stuff in the world. It don't cut you. It don't bend, you know, break. Uh, you try to use Johnson grass, the shit breaks, pokes you in the eyeball. This stuff is just, it's just a marsh grass that, you know, and it lasts forever. So you can stand up through it, you know, it don't get hung up in your guns. So ultimate camo is the ultimate deal. I mean, I I had so many people, well, we didn't even know where they were at, you know. Well, that's what I want you to say. I mean, when I've got you that camoed, uh, if you can't see them, they're not going to see you. Uh, and I try, you know, do a real good job of telling them where they're at and all that stuff. And most of the time, nine times out of ten, setting up crane hunting, the winds are going to be at their back and they're going to be right, right in, in your face. You. I mean, so. And everyone knows the guide's invisible to geese and cranes. Yeah. They just can't see the guide. Yeah. But they can see the clients. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> I've seen some guys that they could see every now and then. <laughs> well, is there anything else you wanted to throw in here? No, nah, pretty. You got some good questions. That pretty well covers it. This, this is fun. I was kind of sad I didn't get down hunt with you this year and snow goose hunting, but we'll work something out next year, and then I might come down to visit you in Texas. Well, it was. Uh, I think if you do some talking and research you'll see that everybody's had a struggle this year with the snow geese and i feel i feel really proud of the ones we got i mean uh gonna be probably the worst year we've ever had but weather drought i mean the whole lot of that plays in so you you just gotta go hunting you know you gotta go hunt enjoy it remember why we go out there you know, it's not about killing hundreds and hundreds of birds, or it shouldn't be, or it needs to get away from that and back to just enjoying. And that's the part about up here in the spring is so fun, 
is all the ducks and all the geese and all the stuff you get to see. I mean, you know, way more to it than just going and shooting hundreds of snow geese. So we need to get back to enjoying being enjoying out there. being out there, not chasing that pile picture. Yeah, I mean, the pile pictures come. There's plenty of them. I mean, but that's the saddest part about the way the hunting community is going is, you know, back, you know, I remember back when the limit of geese was three. So if there was five of you or 10 of you, you know, that was 15 geese. Now you go out and shoot 15 geese. It's like, Oh hell, you know, that's the worst hunt we've ever <laughs> had in our life. You know, well, just a few years ago, that was the limit, you know? So, we need to try to maybe kind of go back to a few years ago and remember how good we had it. So, well, everyone, we're gonna miss him. He's going off, gonna do some turkey hunting. Gobble gobble. He is a turkey's worst nightmare out there. They don't see him, but they do hear him. <laughs> <laughs> yep, love it. Um, and catch some fish. So, coming up, we have our turkey season. Go ahead, call if you're still wanting in. Uh, shotgun season opens April 15th. We run, we run all the way to May. That early part of May is about the best time around here, I, I feel like. Uh, and then after that, uh, summer dog training. We got some registered shoots and uh, sporting clay leagues starting up pretty soon. So, go ahead, call and get in on that. Thanks, everybody. See you next week. This is the In the Field Podcast brought to you by Pheasant Bonanza.